Welcome to Europe Speaks, a TEPSA podcast channel where we explore everything to do with the European Union, history, current affairs and the future of Europe. This week, here's another DICE webinar where we've gathered the world's leading experts on differentiated European integration. In this episode, Frank Schimmelfenig, a professor at the ETH Zurich, board member of TEPSA and scientific lead of the INDIVU project, guides us through the concepts and theories which are key to understanding and studying differentiated integration. Hello and welcome to this DICE webinar. My name is Frank Schimmelfenig and I'm a professor of European politics at ETH Zurich in Switzerland. Today I will be speaking about the concept of differentiated integration and some theoretical building blocks. You will see that differentiated integration comes in very different forms and shapes and that it follows different logics in the European Union. A useful way to start this discussion is to contrast differentiated integration with its opposite, uniform integration. We speak of uniform integration if all member states and member states only participate in an EU policy. There are cases in which not all member states participate and we call this internal differentiation. In addition, there are cases in which non-member states of the European Union participate in its policies. This is external differentiation. Let me give you a few examples. The common agricultural policy is a typical case of uniform integration. All member states participate in the common agricultural policy, but non-member states don't. Monetary union is a case of internal differentiation. Some member states of the EU, such as Poland or Hungary, do not have the euro as their currency. The internal market is a case of external differentiation. All member states of the EU participate in the internal market, but there are also a few non-member states, such as Norway and Iceland via their membership in the European Economic Area. And then there is the curious case of Schengen, which is both internally and externally differentiated. Some member states do not participate, such as Ireland or Cyprus, whereas non-member states, again, Norway, but also Switzerland, are members of the Schengen area. So this distinction between internal and external differentiation is already one important classification of the concept of differentiated integration. You've probably heard about concepts like core Europe, Europe a la carte, or two-speed Europe. These indicate different modes of differentiated integration. Integration can be differentiated across time, across space, and across policies. Multi-speed differentiated integration is just temporary. We have two different groups of member states, but over time, the laggards, those in the yellow circle here, join the leaders, the blue circle, and differentiated integration becomes uniform integration again. Multi-tier differentiated integration represents the idea of a core Europe and the Europe of concentric circles. So here we have an, an inner circle, a core of member states, 
which are integrated in all policies at the highest level. Around this core group, we have concentric circles of states that do not participate in all of these policies. And as we move from the inner core to the outer circles, participation in EU policies becomes shallower and shallower. Finally, the idea of multi-menu differentiated integration does not have such a stable core of states at its center. Here in each policy, we find different groupings of member states that come together to participate in a common policy without having a, a single group of countries that is integrated in all of these policies. The question, of course, is what kind of, what mode of differentiated integration is prevalent in the European Union. Let us now look at the causes and conditions of differentiated integration in the EU. As you know, big decisions in European integration require the consensus of all member states. And such a consensus is easier to achieve if the member states have similar integration preferences and integration capacities. At the beginning of European integration with just six rather similar member states, this was still rather easy to achieve. And this is why we find uniform integration in the beginning of European integration. Over time, however, the EU has expanded to more member states and these additional member states often had different integration preferences. They disagreed with the original member states on how far European integration should go and where it should end. And they also had different integration capacities. Many of the new member states were poorer, had less state capacity, were not democratically consolidated. This made achieving a consensus more difficult. And it also became more difficult when the European Union expanded beyond uh, market integration into core state power policies such as defense, security, monetary union, fiscal polity, and what have you. So the EU became more heterogeneous over time. And it was more difficult to reach a consensus on additional integration. Differentiated integration offers a way around the consensus requirement of a internationally heterogeneous community because it allows groups of countries with similar integration preferences and similar capacities to agree on a new policy without having the consensus of those countries that do not share their integration preferences or have uh, less integration capacity. So international heterogeneity is the main driver of differentiated integration in the European Union. Clearly, if the European Union were to give up its consensus principle for big integration decisions, there would be much less demand for differentiated integration because a majority sharing certain preferences and capacities could always outvote a minority having other preferences and capacities. But 
this is very unlikely to happen in European integration. In addition, there are some supply conditions that facilitate differentiated integration when there is demand for it. The first is size. Differentiated integration is both more efficient and legitimate if a large majority of member states is in favor of differentiated integration and decides to move ahead. Second, the issue of externalities. If the I allows some countries to cherry pick on the integration efforts of others, or if differentiated integration discriminates against certain member states, it will be more contested and less stable. The first such context is EU enlargement. And here the relevant heterogeneity driving differentiated integration is a heterogeneity of integration capacities, especially when the new member states are poorer and have less state capacity than the old member states, as it has been the case in recent decades. In this case, the old member states are concerned about the distributional and efficiency implications of enlargement. Specifically, that means that they are concerned that because of their lower state capacity, the new member states will lack the capacity to effectively implement European Union policies. They are also concerned because poorer new member states will be the main beneficiaries of the EU's redistributive policies like agricultural policy and cohesion policy. For these reasons, they try to put off the consequences of full integration in the future. That is, they negotiate transitional arrangements with the new member states that bar these new member states from full benefits, for instance, regarding the free movement of labor in the internal market or the full participation in the common agricultural policy. So this so-called instrumental differentiation in the context of enlargement mainly gives rise to multi-speed Europe because after a number of years, uh, these transitional arrangements expire and the new member states are as uniformly integrated as uh, the old member states. Uh, this instrumental differentiation also mainly takes place in the policy areas of the market and the expenditure policies of the European Union. That is different from the other major context of differentiated integration, which is the deepening, the revision of European Union treaties, mainly when European integration expands into core state policies, such as security policies and um, macroeconomic, fiscal and monetary policies that affect the core state powers. Here, the main conflict is about integration preferences between integration-friendly and Eurosceptic member states. Eurosceptic member states have major concerns related to national sovereignty and identity when it comes to the European integration of these core state powers. And um, they typically negotiate opt-outs from integration in these uh, core state powers. In contrast to instrumental differentiation, this constitutional differentiation is durable. It has led to stable differentiations, for instance, in the area of justice and home affairs, 
the monetary union, where Eurosceptic member states have remained outside of the most integrated policies for decades. So this constitutional differentiation gives rise to multi-tier Europe, uh, a stable Europe of concentric circles. So as we see, differentiated integration in the European Union is highly differentiated itself. It comes in the forms of internal and external differentiation, multi-speed Europe and multi-tier Europe, and it has different logics and different outcomes depending on whether it originates in the enlargement of the European Union or in its deepening in the areas of core state powers. This project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under Grants Agreement number 870789. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents, which reflects the views only of the authors, and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may have been made of the information contained therein.